Hey, welcome to episode 40 of Cameras or whatever, the uh, podcast for professional photographers that uh, like to work. I'm <laughs> Tyler Stalvin. And I'm Cameron Whitman. Oh, hi, Cameron. It's been a really long time. Yeah. I know we always say that, but... This time was a really long time. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, it's because we started the show at Weekly, now we're at bi-weekly and uh this one time we're monthly but um you know we'll make a habit of it i was on a a really big trip and like i've said in previous episodes nobody likes to hear about things you've been doing if they haven't also been doing them (laughs) so (laughs) i'll i'll not so much talk about that i was traveling lots but the the really big thing that has been building up and i've been wanting to do i wanted to do a pre-episode before it happened and then i wanted to do a during episode while it happened but instead we're only going to do a follow-up episode <laughs> and that's that i bought a new camera oh a, you a, did buy it a new significant camera not just a um, play camera i'd been teasing it on facebook and twitter and stuff and i, I pulled the trigger and got a sony a7r2 and 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 then I'll probably talk about it for <laughs> the rest of the episode. There's a, there's a lot to say, but uh, first the the backstory of getting it. Um, I know I'd tested it on the show before, so I've already talked about my first impressions of it. Yeah. But um, I I basically decided I needed a real video camera this year. Yeah. I just the five D Mark III is not cutting it at all. It, it was already too far behind last year, so. I'm I'm clearly overdue for an upgrade on this. I, I had to do something. And basically there are only a few options right now. The convergence of stills and video has been kind of getting worse. There there aren't a lot of options from it. Canon seems to be moving away from it. Hmm. And all the most all the best things in video are happening in like full size video cameras. And the Sony line is the only one that's really doing a, a good job of it. Their image quality is amazing both in stills and in video. But I mean it's it's still a very expensive camera for such a small camera. <laughs> <laughs> um and it, so it was a big decision, but I had a couple of video jobs coming up and I was going to have to rent cameras anyway and I've been renting Sony's for the last year, so I finally decided that I just uh, should have one that is actually mine and I can reuse and a lot of thought went into this is what they thought the first episode, the pre episode would be about is deciding between this and the A seven S Mark II. Mm-hmm. So when I say that I bought this primarily for video, that you know, everybody's first question should be why didn't I get the A seven S? Why um, didn't you get the A seven S? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because I also shoot stills. If you do both, you give up virtually everything on the still side by going from the R to the S. It's much, much smaller resolutions, 12 megapixels, which, you know, that, that that is enough for a lot of projects, but for commercial photography, for stock photography, for a lot of the things that I shoot, it isn't, it isn't enough. I couldn't, it's do, not. I couldn't do client jobs with it. I agree. So it would really be restricted to just being a video camera. I couldn't use it for stills. Mm-hmm. Then looking at the samples of the, uh, comparing the two of the video between the R and the S when you shoot in cropped mode on the R, it is pretty much equivalent. There, the, the differences are really slight between the R and S. There's, the, the advantage is almost disappear. And the biggest source of confusion, I think, is that people look at the S and they're like, yeah, but it's a low-light beast. It, <laughs> uh, you can shoot in the dark. And that is true. I mean, it, it lets you go down to previously 
unimaginable levels of darkness and still pull some kind of image out of there. Mm-hmm. But after playing with the the original, the Mark One of the S um, quite a bit, it it still falls apart at the same place. Like thirty two hundred looks pr- almost the same as thirty two hundred does on the R or on a five D or many other places. Mm-hmm. Like it, the, those limits of when grain really starts to become present in the image that happens at the same place. The, seven, the S just lets you go a little bit further. It lets you keep pushing that noise um, a right. little further and, and st- it keeps an image at really, really high numbers, like over a hundred thousand, but it's arbitrary. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, like if you compare the two, it is a better image at 50,000 than the R, but it's still messy. Like it's not clean. And that's a really extreme situation to me. Like how, how often am I shooting for something that I'm willing to have tons of noise and, um, I can't bring any light into it. Like, right. That's not my most common shooting situation. Usually, yeah, like there is light. There is some light to work Right. With. I would say that I, I'm not used to seeing much of anything from you. It's a, in, in the that dark. dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and maybe I'd be shooting it for the S, but no, but I probably wouldn't. I really doubt it. <laughs> no, because still, like 3200 is, that's a lot of ISO. You can really shoot in very dark environments. Mm-hmm. And I d- didn't see myself moving past that. Well, especially when you factor in either fast lenses or image stabilization. Yeah. I mean, oh, totally. The the fact that these both have the stabilized sensor, it lets you get a lot more light of it anyway. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of my lenses will be doing better than they did on my Canon in low light anyway. So after all that, are you happy? (sighs) Um, Okay. Well, yes, I think so. I'm still nervous about it. I mean, I I don't have buyer's remorse, but it's... um, still quite a few thousand dollars. It was more expensive than my Canon was when I bought it new. Uh, You know, basically 4,000 Canadian at the moment. And how many uh, shoots have you done with it? Two, two video shoots. Um, And I have tested it for some still stuff. So a lot of the hype behind this thing was that you can do um, the, the autofocus for your Canon lenses can work through the Metabones adapter, which it, it does. And it's amazing that it does. I can't believe they were actually able to support third party lenses. Yeah. Um, but it's not as good. And to me, it, for a lot of the circumstances I shoot in, it, it does need to be as good. So, um, the restrictions especially are on longer zoom ranges. Mm-hmm. So you know, at 70 to 200, you know, when you start getting past a hundred, that's really when it starts falling apart. The biggest weakness in its type of autofocus is that it has a hard time jumping far distances. So switching from close up focus to far away focus, that's when it struggles compared to, uh, an SLR. Okay. Um, so something about that seems to tie into the way that it works for, um, the, uh, on, on the on the longer ranges, and so a lot of the time, seventy two hundred is my standard lens when we're shooting style stuff, and I can't have it hunt for focus. And sometimes it does more often than on the five D. So, um, in those cases, it, pro- it probably won't replace the five D for the sort of things that are like sports. You know, like mm-hmm. people are moving quickly, unpredictably, and you just need it to get focus every single time. But for studio portraits, I think it's going to be much, much better. The one set of tests that I did of just subjects sitting still um, and just trying to get focus on their eye at 2.8. I was, so I was doing tests at 1.4, 2.8, mm-hmm. and 4.0. And um, all of them were much sharper 
on the on the Sony because yeah. be, because of that like perfect calibration. I mean, it was basically a lot more back focus on the 5D. A lot more times that it was you know just behind his eye and hitting or like hitting his ear or his nose or you know that slightly off. But the, so the really big focus advantage is the eye tracking, and that only works with native lenses as well. Or wait, no, does it? Yeah, it does. It does <laughs> face tracking with Canon lenses. And that's what, I, that's what I was using for this. Actually, it was face tracking and it was perfectly accurate. But the eye tracking is even more amazing because it chooses the closest eye to the frame and will make it perfectly in focus. So that like, that's amazing. So does this mean if you um, got a Sony equivalent of the 70 to 200, you'd be fine with that? Possibly. Yeah. yeah, I really might. Um, switching lenses isn't really something I'm considering yet because... It's the next huge step. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're not cheap lenses just because they're smaller. They're not cheaper. Yeah. So it would still be a huge investment. And, um, you know, I, 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 I have two Canon 70-200s. So uh, I actually right now on it, I have the, the one that has no image stabilization, like the, the F4, no IS. Mm-hmm. And that Canon, if you're familiar with it, is very, very thin. It's really actually cool. I'm holding it right now. And it's basically proportional to the A7S. But again, this is where that third-party lens thing comes in. It's not working. The The autofocus is not working. And it lists that it's supported on Metabones on the adapter website. Oh, yeah, okay. So this was the big thing. On the second day of, of shooting, um, I had rented the Speed Booster. And I was kind of just comparing the, the Speed Booster. And if you remember from the time I rented the FS7, what that does is it has a lens inside of it. It's a, it's a lens adapter, but it magnifies the light that comes through. So it takes a cropped part of the sensor and you know what's really meant to do is shoot on cropped sensors period and mm-hmm. take full frame lenses make them full frame on a crop size sensor and also give you an extra stop of light so it's kind of magical it's really wow. an amazing device but halfway through the day it started shooting all of my stills as black frames or some of them were completely uh crazy purple patterns like what? just glitches falling apart glitches on my brand new $4,000 camera. And, um, I couldn't figure it out. I was switching lenses. I was switching memory cards and batteries. And I, I mean, I thought I tried everything, um, but it was, it was mounted onto a tripod plate that was basically locking the adapter into place. So it would have really slowed the shoot down to have taken the adapter off. And I just never thought that something attached, like the, basically your lens attachment can interfere with your file saving. Like that's crazy to me. I, I have absolutely no idea how this is happening. It's, offensive that it somehow <laughs> can get into that process i could still shoot video shot video all day the previews looked fine it just couldn't save files and i needed to be shooting stills and video on this and um you know it it, it almost ruined the shoot for me i mean i was uh, luckily i had an a7s as well rented and that's what i ended up shooting the stills on you know 12 megapixels anybody considering doing the sony switch i would strongly recommend not to rely too heavily on your Canon glass unless it's in really, unless it's for video for video, it seems to be totally fine. Uh, or you're in always shooting in like a studio environment or landscape environment or places that aren't really um, time sensitive and like needing really fast response. Unless you're going to go with the Sony lenses. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Like the Sony lens lineup is looking awesome. A few weeks ago it was looking terrible. And then they announced the new ones. So there's like that 85, the, the G series. So there's an 85 mm-hmm. that's, um, you know, the, 
the pro line. And actually I just about to start listing them and I realize it's the only one to remember. What else did they announce? Um, but they're, they're basically creating like a, a fully rounded set. Uh, what I bought with mine was the 28 millimeter 2.0. And mm. I really strongly recommend it. It's half the price of the 35. Most people I know are buying the 35. Mm-hmm. Um, it's half the price. It's 2.0 instead of 2.8. It's not Zeiss branded. And from the tests that I've looked at, um, in a, you know, a formal test, it's not as sharp in some ways, but in real life, it's extremely sharp. It's, it's, it's better than my 40 that I love and I use all the time. I think, I, th- I think it's a little bit sharper than that, but, um, you know, it's, it, it's just completely acceptably sharp. You, you will use it happily. And then also the thought is that since I need to shoot in cropped mode to get the full video quality out of this thing, uh, then for my video purposes, it'll end up being a 35 mm-hmm. much of the time, which is kind of a, a, a great range for video. So, hmm. I've always been curious about 28 because sometimes 24 is too wide and sometimes 35 is not wide enough. Yeah, no, I've been, I've been really loving that range. Also, a lot of the stuff lately has been interiors because it kind of ends up tying into like Instagram posts that we do or we're um, blogging about locations or, or whatever. And just you're, it's really adaptable. Like you can shoot a full room with it. And because we got a lot of megapixels here, we can crop in if we need to, or we can shoot in crop mode. Um, and I had, I was also attracted to it because it's so close to an iPhone, which I think is 27 millimeters i might be wrong but i think it's around there and iphone lenses are just really versatile like you can shoot so much stuff in that range and we do great we all do right we all shoot iphones all the time and love it so i figured you know if i can make it work there it's kind of frustrating how how great an iphone is yeah yeah just with the, the focal length itself, just how well it seems to work and the fact that that's on a phone and then you try to transpose it to your DSLR or yeah, SLR. I've never, I've never in the past been able to make it feel right. And maybe that's because my wider lens was a 24. Right. Maybe that's just a little too wide. Maybe it's, it's just that little tiny bit of extra distortion. Yeah, something. yeah. It's just like you never quite, you never really like the corners. You know, right, and also with 28s, I owned one. I had a, a 28 2.8 Prime Nikon at one point, and I could swear to God it was the worst lens I'd ever owned. The worst Prime lens that I'd was ever it, owned. Was it super cheap? Yeah, it was, it was real cheap. I think I paid like maybe 150 or 200 bucks for it. Oh, yeah, that's really cheap. And I got the same amount out of it. By comparison, you know, I bought the I recently bought the uh, 50 millimeter 1.4 AIS lens, non autofocus, for mm-hmm. 100 bucks. And that thing's dynamite. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there are cheap, like in my 40 millimeter, which is like 100 bucks. Right, exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's always hard to know, like just based on, on that. But, that's just the thing is that finding that length at really great quality seems to be a challenge. And for Nikon mm-hmm. users, it's, it's like, it's a fabled nightmare of sorts because there is one, there's a, you know, a, uh, I think it's out of production at this point, but it was a 28, 1.4, uh, D they never made a G version. And, uh, if you can find one, they usually go for more than $2,000. Wow. Yeah. It's wow. they, you know, if you believe, uh, that that Rockwell guy, then apparently it's the best lens they ever made, but hmm. I suspect it's not. 
I'm starting to feel like the best lenses ever made are all being made right now, though. I um, totally agree with you. It's amazing how, yeah. like, I think people have some, it, it's romantic to think of old glass as being perfect, but I, well, but it depends what you love to, because older glass, some people appreciate the softness of it. Yeah, I was just going to say that sometimes it's 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 just a certain characteristic of the lens that makes it so great as opposed to like it's it's technical perfection. Yeah, and I can understand that. Um just I I happen to need to shoot in a way that's technically perfect as often as possible, so that's usually my measure. Heard that, yeah. But I under, <laughs> I understand that other people don't necessarily need that. Um but I'm just flipping through the Sony lens list here, uh looking at what they've released and yeah, so the new ones are there's the twenty four to seventy two point eight G. So that's something I would like to have. Yeah. The eighty five one point four and the seventy to two hundred two point eight G. So that's the that's the one I really would have. Right. That's on your Christmas list. Yeah, but it's you know, it's expensive. It's uh, I don't know, B and H says notify me when it's in stock. <laughs> I, I know it's over two thousand though, so but yeah, Sony's really I, I don't know what Canon's going to do. The reason, oh yeah, so for, I'm trying to backtrack like two months of history of my thoughts about this. <laughs> Part of what pushed me over the edge and decided to not wait for Canon is the 1DX Mark II. Um, okay. Did you did you happen to look at it when it came out? You may not have because you don't care about Canon. Exactly, I don't care. Uh, it's the what's your Nikon one, the D, D5 or something? What's the big one? The yeah, the big one is is the D5 still. And there was a new one, right? You guys already. Is you guys got your big one. I don't. God, I yeah. stopped paying attention. How, how are we an authority about any of this stuff? And we don't know what we're talking about. Well, because we well, use them. Yeah, I know. I know Nikon came out with theirs first, and I didn't pay attention. No, right? it's still the D five. Okay, and then the Canon one came out, one <clears throat> DX Mark II. This is the big, you know, sports lens or sports camera mm-hmm. and uh, event camera, and um, just rugged and. I, it's beautiful for stills. I've had the one series before and I really enjoy shooting them. They're extremely fast, extremely reliable. They are really meant for professionals. They're waterproof. They're everything proof. They're, they're so well-made, but um, the, the video they had added 4k and did not add any dynamic range. Like basically the samples of the video I was seeing coming out of it, they looked very sharp and they had the nice color that Canon's good at. But there was that same camcorder amount of, of dynamic range in them. And as soon as I saw that footage, I was like, well, that's what's going to happen in the 5D um, in the next one. They're not committed to this. They're not concerned that uh, Sony is out there eating their lunch for video. And they're right. just they're going to try to keep it separated. And I shouldn't be surprised. This is what Canon's been doing for a while now. They've really just been letting themselves go. <laughs> It's not a nice way to say it. Yeah, no, well, it's not a nice thing you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to, I have to correct myself because it, it was a D5, and it's, it's funny that I was already thinking that it might have been the D6 because it's brand new. So wait, what? Is, so what is the new one? There is a new one. Can yeah, we clarify a, this? They released a D5 and a D500 to go with that. Okay, so D5 like is the latest, and yeah, whatever that's, that's the, the the quote unquote flagship. Got it. Yeah, which yeah, and. Doesn't I love appeal to me. No, yeah. Well, I love them. Like, if you happen to need them, when I was using the uh, what would have been like one DS and Mark II or something, mm-hmm. um, I was shooting a lot of concerts, 
Oh, right. And yeah. for stuff like that, it's so great. Like, it's kind of dirty out. It was raining a few times. It was um, extremely fast, really fast autofocus, really fast shutter. And you just don't worry about it. Like, there's something, it, the battery is twice the size. There's so little to worry about. It fits in your hand perfectly. If you're doing that kind of thing, it is the ultimate. Like, yeah, it's, it's critical, really. Really, yeah. And the new, the 1DX, they really upped some of the numbers in really interesting ways. And I, I haven't done a comparison, but I imagine the 5D is pretty compar- pretty comparable. I mean, if we were good at our podcasting job, we would have, you know, you would have researched the D5 and I would have researched <laughs> the 1DX, and then we would have done a head-to-head. If we didn't have real jobs. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the truth is, that we have not only have we not done any preparation for this, but this is like the first time we've talked since I left. Seriously. <laughs> we're okay. We yeah. are. We're just yeah. busy. <laughs> But and and we uh, still exist and the show's still here. Mm-hmm. Glad it is. Um, and it's so funny. This is going to be one of those episodes that uh, from friends that I've heard listen to it. Like you know when you tell a friend that you've got a podcast and they're <laughs> like, "Cool, I'll check it out." And it's just impenetrable if you aren't already a camera nerd. And I know we are. We already set out for this to be that kind of show. Like we've agreed with all the listeners that hey, look, we're all. We're, we're not going to explain anything to you and we're going to expect a lot out of you. But, um, yeah. I, so anyone out there trying to get into this for the first time. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's also really, really interesting and always kind of a shock to me is that, you know, I'll have people that don't even really do anything with cameras, you know, say like, Oh, I heard you say something about this on your podcast. And I'm like, what, what? <laughs> and it's so shocking. So I'm like, well, why would you listen to that? (laughs) Why on earth? I mean, because you really have to be geeked out. Yeah, I mean, if we wanted a broader audience, we would have made this show more about like photography in a cultural way. I think that'd be more interesting. There's enough shows that are beginner, like entry-level tech, like, Mm -hmm. you know, getting to know your camera stuff. I would have found it interesting to do uh, a show that's like a lot of interviews with um, Instagrammers and talking to people that are having a big cultural effect on photography, big bloggers, just people that, you know, are, are influencing what photography is and get less into the, the details of the tech. Uh, but we didn't make that show. <laughs> so I don't know what else should I go into? I, I could, I could go into another, I could go into a full hour of just details about this. I don't know how interesting that is. How, like, how interested are you in this coming thing? I know you think that so many colors are boring, but do you have any interest? Like, do you ever think about looking at mirrorless cameras for yourself? Um, you know, I, I, I'm still very curious about those Olympus OMD cameras, mm-hmm. you know, cause they're, they're tiny. Yeah. They're, they're really small. And you know, the psycho glass has always been great. And, you know, you look at the, the performance packed into these bodies, they're only a thousand bucks. Wow, they're only a thousand bucks? Yeah. They're so cheap. And, you know, they, they, they have some pretty amazing features in them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that it, there's something that's really appealing about that to me. And especially because, you know, like, there's so many opportunities now that, like, I'm not working on a professional level. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and it's kind of gotten back to just doing it for the joy in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the it's the idea giggles. of... What's that? <laughs> for giggles. Yeah, totally. <laughs> just, you know, it's like, yeah. But the idea of being able to carry around 
you know, a, a reasonably powerful kit with great results and, and not feel it, you know, that does appeal to me on some mm-hmm. level. And I, I think that that's probably similar to why anybody else would get into any kind of mirrorless. Yeah. Um, you know, but like, there's just no question that it, that it, for all the same reasons that you've already illustrated, it can't really replace the, the pro system, you know, not for, not for doing not events. Today. Not yet. No. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really mean, think it could happen next year. It, it, like if, the, oh, if well, the, Sony does another round in, you know, another tw- 10 months, 12 months. Yeah. Uh, it, it might be time for everybody to start thinking about switching. Well, I'm convinced anything can happen anymore yeah. with cameras. Yeah. I mean, it's just like you said, the, the lenses that are being created now are basically defying anything that we thought was possible. Well, you know, what's so funny too, is the way that the lens mounts have gone that like Canon has become such a popular standardized lens mount, uh, because of this video thing. And so maybe you don't feel this as much as I do. Cause it's mostly video people that, that like the video world that that's happened in mm-hmm. that, um, even, you know, reds will come with an EF mount, like the Canon mount is an option and, uh, wow. it's, it's everywhere. And at the same time, it's well, Canon is falling behind and well, everybody else is passing their glass and their sharpness. And it's, that's really funny. I mean, the, the Sony 55 millimeter 1.8 is much sharper than Canon's 1.2. And it's, you know, maybe a thousand dollars less. I kind of forget the price of the 1.2, but, but it's a fraction of the size. It's, uh, it's, it's probably smaller than the Canon. 50 millimeter 1.8 like it's it's tiny and it's, and it's got a great length all these mounts all these people are like buying canon mounts canon adapters sigma's making all these canon lenses and uh at the same time canon's falling behind so and sigma just came out with an art lens for mirrorless oh yeah the 50 to 100 1.8 right well i think there was a prime too wasn't there a 30 millimeter oh yeah th- i didn't pay as much attention to that that's what that's only for mirrorless i well the new one i believe is i mean they, they had a pre they previously had one as well here you look it up while i try to i try to fill time because i actually don't think i'll have time to edit this episode so mm-hmm. whatever uh big blank spaces we leave in it everybody's gonna <laughs> have to listen to it is, yeah. <laughs> sorry folks okay so what else okay i want to talk more about this camera i've like i've all this built up things to say and i've had a chance to tell everybody about them so i'm gonna i'm gonna waste everybody's time and especially everybody that doesn't plan on buying one of these. Okay. Here's another big thing about EVFs that is slightly behind or sorry, um, mirrorless cameras because of their EVF. Um, the experience of shooting, especially rapid fire, um, like burst mode Mm -hmm. is less than ideal sometimes because your options of looking through the viewfinder are that there's a, a relatively long black time, like where you're, you're, completely blanked out and the frame is unavailable to you. And what it wants to do is immediately show you the feedback of what you've just shot as, as you're shooting. And what you can't do is look through the EVF, like on an SLR, shoot, shoot, shoot. And you're just seeing the subject, shoot, 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 and then lower it and look at the results. It's either that it's going to interrupt your eye or you, or you don't get any playback at all. And that, that's crazy to me that like they, it is really just a setting that they could have had that it's like, just behave like an SLR, you know, look through the, look through the viewfinder as you shoot. And if you want to review, look at the back of the camera. 
um, that that would make a massive difference in being able to transition smoothly from what I've been, you know, from the Canon experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far, that's definitely been a stumbling block. That's too bad. So the uh, it, it turns out that it's actually not an art lens. It's a, it's the contemporary series. Oh, okay. Um, but it, yeah, it's. It's confusing because they they already had a thirty millimeter, but it was an f two eight in their in their art series. No, in the uh, the DN series, which is from Mirrorless. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. unfamiliar with that series. Okay, but well, did you see the fifty to one hundred? Do you not find that one interesting? You kind of skipped over. Oh, I, yeah, I do find that interesting. I was just going to mention it because it's it it's such a. What are they doing? <laughs> Everything. I, I like anything. It. <laughs> I really, I I have to say, it, like I like it because it's they're. They're going against traditions. Well, do you like, I, I have a hard time deciding if I like the way things have gone more or less. So it used to be that you just know that you're going to buy a Canon or an Icon, unless you're a weirdo. And, you know, or like maybe you are a dentist and you want a Leica. But <laughs> other than that, like that's, that's all you had to choose from. And then you go and buy all the lenses from that company and then you yeah. fight over it. Mm-hmm. Um, now it is so unclear what to buy. When I give people advice, it's like, you know, you're going to have to go to a store and pick up all of these things and hold them and press them up against your ear and see what they whisper to you because there's a million subtle differences. And uh, so one friend that's a blogger, she was buying a in the market for a new camera and I was giving her advice and I was telling her how great the Sony is and she Fortunately, she went in and tried it. And she's like, you know, it just didn't feel right at all. So I bought a 60. And that's great, you know. Mm-hmm. Even though, uh, like, objectively, there kind of is more features packed into the Sony, it just didn't It didn't feel right. But there's so much of that. Like, you just need to look at so many cameras before you make a decision. Now You can't just walk in and choose one or two. And then each brand as well, like, but even between Canon and Nikon, there are so many models. Like, it oh, used to ridiculous. just be, like... There's the 5D and the Rebel and the 1D, and then that's it. And, I, you know, sort of similar for Nikon. But now it's split so many different ways. There's so many levels. Right. And it's just like basically like we took out this one feature. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, you can just add it uh, a la carte one feature at a time. And by removing that one feature, we were able to make this, you know, this much smaller and this much lighter. <laughs> yeah. And $30 cheaper. Right. Well, I think it's kind of interesting because, you know, three years ago, there was the conversation was are you Canon or Nikon, mm-hmm. and now it's so it's so much different. Like yeah. you said, like you are just you can't. iPhone or are you... <laughs> right? You know, like no, I'm film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so there's just so many different angles. It's really interesting. I, I I have hope that 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 would you know kind of shake up the the content creation. I had this really good chart, and I'm trying to find the link, and I could read the numbers, but I can't find it. I tweeted it. Um, I'll retweet it, so check out my Twitter, but uh, which is at Stallman. And it was a breakdown of the camera sales over the last year, and mm-hmm. they do this every year. But, wow, things are really taking a hit. Like, uh, just generally, camera sales have slowed again uh, more and more. Um, all those things that we kind of expected are still happening of – uh, you know, less point and shoot selling. It's it's crazy because just as cameras are getting more and more exciting, it's harder and harder to uh, be in the camera business. Well, and and I think that the coincidentally they're going to get more expensive. 
mm-hmm. they're going to have to, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I know that at the time of my purchase, uh, well, this is this is only a Canadian problem, but they were uh, that there was an impending price adjustment uh, for our conversion rate, so things are going to keep getting more expensive for us Canadians, unfortunately. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. But that's that's okay. I already got mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're safe for this yeah, year. Yeah, for now, until the new one comes out next year. Right. So you know what else I don't like about the Sony is I know it's not nearly as robust. Um, immediately on the first day, I noticed a small, small scratch on the LCD, and it's a real scratch. It's going to be there. Forever. Yeah, forever. And it was within hours. You like, can't buff that out? No. Well, no. <laughs> it, it happened immediately, though. As soon as I had the camera, like I hadn't used it yet. I hadn't done anything. Doesn't that hurt? Oh, it's horrible. And, and it's like, it's nothing. No. But I, you know in your heart. You're like, well, I'm wow, more concerned, now about, I'm concerned about the whole thing falling apart. That's oh, okay. my big worry. I'm uh, always concerned yeah, about reselling. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I. I I barely dropped this lens and now it's completely ruined, <laughs> yeah, even though it works perfectly well. Yeah. I want to buy a cage for it, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a video thing, but uh, I don't know. I kind of want one that I'll be able to leave on all the time and still use it for stills. <laughs> no, but I don't know. You can't be so, serious. Some of them are pretty cool. Yeah, here, uh, I'm going to send you a link. And I'll post the link in the show notes. But they're so cool. It's, you know, it's just like a slab of metal wrapped around your camera and then a bunch of screw holes in it. Oh, I see. Okay. That's that's not that's not nearly as offensive as what I'm used to seeing with the cage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They can get pretty big. But That's pretty awesome, actually. Yeah. Don't some of these look just like really cool little robots? I actually feel like that grip makes this camera way more appealing. Yeah, right? <laughs> There's this. So for anybody that isn't going to click this link, the one that... The one that um, I sent him a review of eight different A7R cages, and uh, the winner has this big wooden grip on the side, kind of like the Pentax 645 does. Yeah. And it has a record button on it, too. Like, it's a big green record trigger. But it's even like, it, it's, it looks so form-fitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it looks like your, your hand would go in there just like a dream. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, I'm not, not that I need to find new things to spend my money on already, but... Um, <laughs> I'd like to get something like that to, to protect it. And I think also this will be the first time I'm going to put a screen protector on this thing right away. Like just one of those clear stickers, mm. uh, which is usually lame. Like I, I'm not the kind of person to do that. I don't put it on my <laughs> iPhones, but I can't have the screen falling apart in. You have to protect your investment, Tyler. Stein. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not going to use this camera just to keep it safe. So I, yeah, I mean, I feel like I've got to put this through the more, the paces, uh, some paces a little bit more and follow up with exactly how well it's really performing. But so far the image quality is crazy, extremely, extremely sharp. And the colors are weird. Yeah. Like one thing actually, when I was shooting my <laughs> comparisons, I could set the white balance in, in Lightroom. I'd set the exact temperature of the 5D and the A7R2, and they were clearly totally different. The A7R was way warmer mm-hmm. at the exact same numbers, both shot and raw. I suspected. It's weird, right? It's not supposed to happen. <laughs> well, why not? Well, shouldn't daylight be the same temperature, whatever camera you're on? Like, Well, the, the, the temperature is the same, but the way that it's being captured is different. 
Yeah, it no, it's it was too, it was so warm though. It wasn't just like the reds were a little different. Just the whole thing was like yellower. I don't know. I don't. Maybe I don't. Maybe I don't know how to take photos. But well, you're not selling it very well because yellower does not sound sexy. <laughs> no, well, no, it wasn't sexy. But not the blue. Basically, I could sexier. I could match them by take by adjusting the compensating the the white balance. Like I was able to get them pretty similar. Mm-hmm. But they were not when they matched. They were not the same Calvin. Fascinating. But you'll you'll be able to adjust for that, right? Yeah, I'm sure I'll figure that out. One thing I know is worse. Everybody has said this, and I have seen it immediately. Is the auto white balance um, really is not as good at, at judging? So yeah, that's that's the thing that I absolutely love about the Nikon DF is that the auto white balance is just real close most of the time. Mm-hmm. And the Canons are too. The Canons you can really trust them a lot it's rarely off by much yeah i feel a little less um impressed with the d800 but i mean that camera is practically a dinosaur now (laughs) is it how old is that thing i think it's like almost five years old maybe so what will it take you to move to a new primary body like what are the things that would get you excited enough to do it maybe a lottery ticket that (laughs) one yeah i mean right now like I, i you know, like I, I toyed around with it last year. We were talking about it, and I was thinking about trading up and get or trading down and getting the D seven fifty. Right. And then I just, you know, I went and played with it, and I was like, man, I have to pay more for this, and it doesn't feel like more, and it just wasn't convincing to me. And then when I kind of got over the whole desire, the gear acquisition syndrome, mm-hmm. um, I didn't care anymore at all, and I was right. just like, you know what, my my gear is working perfectly for me Mm -hmm. you know like i've gone back and looked at those those people who shot hasselblads for 30 years and had that system in place for 30 years in their entire professional career Mm -hmm. and thought about like man that must have been great yeah just sticking with something and getting to know it yeah and i mean i think that there's also definitely there's downsides you know because you you kind of get stuck doing what you do and you don't break out of certain molds. And so like right. that's why I like to shoot different types of cameras. But within a certain type of medium, you know, for exactly the same reason as that you were saying that the the uh the white balance, the auto white balance be- or the, just the, the the color temperature between the the Sony and the and the Canon is slightly different. Yeah. Like compatibility among like within that one medium needs mm-hmm. to be perfect. Right. You know, because as a professional, you have to be able to, con- you know, have a very... Stay consistent. Yeah, it has to be extremely consistent. Yeah. Or else it looks like you don't know what you're doing. I was considering getting a... Uh, actually, this morning, I was looking at the color checker passports. From yeah, I got that. X-ray. Oh, you have one? Yeah. Do you use it? Yeah. Yeah? How often? Yeah. I usually use it when I'm shooting any studio portraits. Oh. It's the only time I use it, actually. Interesting. How do you count? Cal- like, do you do the whole like they're using their software to calibrate it when you're processing in Lightroom yep. later? Oh. Well, I usually just just click the the the, the gray card spots. Okay, sure. And then check the colors. Well, because what I found track. it really interesting for is looking at um, in in video you shoot in log, right? So everything's flat, looks like right. crap, and you can use those to basically like bring all of your flat, boring colors to you know, perfectly accurate, beautiful, contrasty colors. Mm-hmm. All right, we're back, and you guys don't know that we left because our audio dropped out. So we're uh, going to just start talking from the middle of nowhere. 
Hi, hi, Tyler. <laughs> oh, hey, welcome back, <laughs> right from that commercial break. Uh, well, what else do we have to talk about? We should, um, since we've been sitting here a long time, because a bunch of that time was spent trying to figure this out. Do you want to talk about some picks? Well, um, I have not really been into too much. I finally watched the uh, the Martian. Oh yeah, what do you think? I liked it. <laughs> That's Cameron's review of The Martian. Yeah. Um <laughs> it was good. You liked it. Yeah. No, I think I it think... was I think it was shot well. I I I you know, I'm I hate to just be like everyone, but I kind of I kind of don't like Matt Damon. Oh, okay. Well. And I kind of we... do at the same time. Like it's really weird. Like I'm not yeah. sure I like him, but I like Matt Damon. Yeah. I mean, I I I get I don't know. Yeah, I'll just say I like Matt Damon. He He's seems good. smart. It's really funny that he played the exact same role twice. I mean, that's the most obvious thing you could say about this film, but after Interstellar, he really is the same guy. I mean, very different character by right. pers- personality, but he looks exactly the same, which is incredibly strange. But um, I actually read the book of The Martian before, and I it, it it's so hard to decide if you want to watch a movie first or read the book first, because which one do you want to like more in the end? Because <laughs> um, that's that's whichever one you do first, you'll probably like more. So to the me, movie. The, well, the movie had a, a lot less in it, like as you would expect. That is exactly what you'd say about it. You any have to condense adaptation. it into two yeah. something hours. And I guess I was surprised that so many people liked it based on how much was in the movie. Because to me, so much of the interesting stuff was in the in the book. But I guess I'm just saying, if you enjoyed the movie, the the book was quite good as well. But it was really beautiful. The camera work was amazing. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was delightful to watch in that. Tons respect. of it was shot on GoPros. Which You're kidding? Yeah, you see that the GoPros are there. Um, like you can you can tell that he, he like the like they show that it's a GoPro and then he's talking to it. Oh, um, of course, yeah. But I didn't really realize that that was where the footage was coming from because it just looked so good. Yeah, it was extremely sharp and it really matched up well to the. Um, high-end camera that was, you know, the, the rest of the film. So it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I was really impressed by the cinematography, and it was gorgeous. I really loved the lighting when they were in the the, the shuttle or whatever the mm-hmm. transport. Like I just thought that that was just so accurate. Yeah, and it was refreshing to see that there was a style to the image that had this really. It was a really great balance of. Um, real and otherworldly together. Like Mm -hmm. it was very, very accurate, but there was something just off enough about it. It was alien sci-fi. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Cause yeah, but it didn't feel, yeah, it was really beautiful tones in that movie. And it was pretty, yeah, I I really loved it. That color of that color red is, is just, Mm -hmm. wow. It's, it's hypnotic really. And I don't, it's, I'm being cheesy, but like, like I just, I don't know, man. Like I'm, I'm sucked into it. It yeah. kind of reminds me of the painted hills in Oregon. Well, and along with it, the wardrobes went really well too. Like the the spacesuits that they had just looked cool. Yeah, and they while did. they're walking around the planet, it like it all just it really came together. That's a really great point because the style design on mm-hmm. that was exceptional. Yeah, this near future, realistic enough look. It's yeah. pretty cool. And if you're making movies, like, pay attention. Yeah. Details. Did you see The Revenant? Um, not yet. Okay. 
I'm planning. Uh, of course, I'm planning on it. But yeah, just, yeah. Well, I mean, you should see it in theaters. It's uh, and part of why I ask is because of the camera that it's shot on to tie everything back to the theme of the show, which is the Alexa 65. Mm. So 65 millimeters. Um, Beautiful. And when uh, the, uh, the Alexa 65 is being developed, they had kind of planned it to be just a special effects camera primarily. Like they didn't really think that it was you know, going to become like a mainstream cinema camera. Cause that's just not what it was designed for. But mm-hmm. after developing it and once some cinematographers were able to see the results, they were like, yeah, I want to shoot everything on this. And so, um, the, I know that there's like a half dozen new films, even one of them is a romantic comedy that is going to be shot on this 65 millimeter format. What? So, yeah, uh, Rogue One, the next Star Wars, is going to be. Well, yeah, um, that, that makes that makes sense, though. Like a romantic totally, but, comedy? Shut on, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm misremembering. But it basically just a lot. Like, it's starting to look like this will just become a common camera to shoot on, which is crazy because it's, like, extremely large format and yeah. shoots 6K and is so beautiful. So... Um, I think that that could be really interesting if all of a sudden the format of cinema gets bigger all of a sudden. That'd be really cool. Why not? It's about time, frankly. Also, The Revenant ties in a bit to me um, being comfortable with this 28. There's a lot of things that push me towards getting a 28 millimeter lens. Mm -hmm. But The Revenant's shot extremely wide, like much wider than this. I think they spent a lot of it, you know, like 16 millimeters and 20 millimeters. And it works really, really well. It's it's just got a look. And even if you just watch the trailer, you can see this over and over again. That's extremely present. Like there are close-ups of, of dialogue where there are a few inches from the person's face on like a 20 millimeter lens. You can see the distortion. It's not, it's not too strong, but you just feel so close. You are, you know how close the camera was and you feel like you're there. Because of the way that the, the cinema crops it. Does that make it a little bit less distorted because the corners are different? Um, or am I crazy? Yeah, no, you're that totally is true. Uh, I don't know the ratio that the revenant was in, but you can kind of choose your ratio depending on the movie and like the lenses that you use. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, you, you would definitely take out some of the worst of the distortion. Yeah, that's true. Because in general, you would shoot wider on uh, for film for movies than you sure. would, yeah, for stills. So right, um, and maybe that ties into it a little bit. Uh, I I started reshooting with my four by five again. Oh, this, cool! This past week, movies, right? <laughs> Portraits. Yeah, cool. Movies. <laughs> Did you post them anywhere yet? Or you haven't yeah. them yet? Yeah, no. I've uh, I've put them on Stocksy, and I shared a couple on Instagram. Maybe I saw them and I just didn't realize that's what they were. I'm g- I'm going to be completely honest. <laughs> mm-hmm. The digital versions were better. Oh wow! Yeah. Why do you say that? Because they were. But what, in what way? Like what aspects were better? Always, like sharpness, <laughs> detail, contrast. Oh, Which photos? I'm I'm on I'm on your Stocksy. The latest. So the, the, they're photos of, of they're portraits of my son. Okay, yeah, there's with the different sweaters. Well, they look great in thumbnails. 
Yeah. Can you see the, 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 there's the, the two that are on the right that have the, the, the development streaks, which mm, almost yeah, made me keep that. from, from uploading them, but I decided that I liked it. <laughs> go with it. Mm. Yeah. I was just like, you know what? That's what happens. I actually fixed one of them. It's not showing on the, the preview right now because it takes the server a minute, but well, the contrast is beautiful. I mean, the, the, the tonal qualities look great. Did you try matching it? Like, could you get the digital black and white to look close I enough? came sort of close, but there was just a lot more room. And that's, I, you know, to be honest with you, it's my fault. I, you can tell just by looking at the, at those pictures that like, I, I didn't, I haven't figured out an optimal way to, to develop my sheet film at home. So why did you decide to upload the digitals if you or sorry the film if you feel like the digitals turned out better? Because the poses are unique. Because you spent more time on each one. Well, they were just different poses, right? And sure. I didn't I didn't take all like the most of the digital ones I actually shot the next day because I I shot one of them, you know, the day before just when I was testing the light and everything, and I loved it. And so then you know I was just like okay well maybe the film ones turn out but. If they don't, like, I want to have something I can still use. So I, I, you know, and the thing was, is that he was wearing a different sweater the next day. And it was a sweater that was really cool. and has these triangles. So I was like, okay, I'm going to play with that. And it just worked out. You know, I was really, really pleased with the results. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, like, I don't dislike the, the black or the, the film ones. It's just that I'm frustrated because I've, you know, here I am like a year later of doing this and I still haven't figured out how to, how to process this film without screwing it up. And, you know, it's just, it's exasperating because, and then to look at it and just be like, "Mm, I don't know. And also with the film toaster, I've determined that, that, that using the film toaster with four by five is, is not good. And Mm. it's because the, the, um, you can't, it's going to crop it no matter what, because the, the, the light source doesn't actually go to the edges. So, <laughs> well, because I was wondering about the ratio, really like work. when I was glancing at these, I was like, is this, am I looking at the right runs? Because is this the original aspect ratio? They are, seem wider than uh, four by five would be. The, or, um, they're all different. The one, where he's, the one where he's covering his eye is the correct ratio. And then the okay. other one's a little bit wider because you got to remember that these were quote unquote scanned with a D800. Mm-hmm. So that ratio is not matching anyway. And so like I said, it, it crops yeah. it in a different way anyway. Right. Um, and there's a lot missing, frankly. There was mm-hmm. a lot more film space. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, like comparing using the, the, the film toaster to a flatbed for 4x5 and for sheet film, it doesn't compare. Like the, four by, or the uh, flatbed does such a better job in terms of sharpness and overall tonal value. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting because, like, for medium format and 35 millimeter, I think the film toaster rocks. You know, I love it. But then, you know, you get to this stage and it's like, okay, that's where we, we just found our limit here. And it's it's disappointing because I think that that was one of the things about the film toaster that I was very, I was excited about is that it was like this covers everything. You know, but then when you you know when you really consider it, you know, why would I shoot large format and then just have it be taken not. on your 35 millimeter digital camera yeah right. it just doesn't you know like the the medium format still comes out 
looking pretty rad. You can still see the different compression that you get from shooting medium format. Mm-hmm. And you can still see some of that in the large format, but not not like you can with this, the flatbed. So lesson learned. I still want to experiment with it because I enjoy the craft quite a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's something definitely. about the actions of doing it at all that, that is is really pleasing. But it is also, you know, it at this point in my career, it, it gets pretty dumb mm-hmm. and a little frustrating, <laughs> you know. And time-consuming. Yeah. Right. And costly. It, it's also, it, it's a, it's an amazing cure for boredom. <laughs> you know, but I'm, all, I'm looking for, now I'm looking for, you know, a different solution for, for being able to, to process these at home. Um, a friend did tell me about, um, have you ever heard of Miller's Photo Lab? No, I haven't. Apparently Miller's Photo Lab does, um, I guess you have to like get approved by them before they'll, they'll work with you or something like that. I don't know if I'm, I hope that I'm right because that's, I, I think that that's what I understood. But their film services are like really cheap. Com- yeah, you have to be a member to to be able to seem to see the prices. But from what Where are from, they based out of? Oh, there's two of them. There's a, a, a Kansas and a Missouri. But apparently they do great work. And you know, like when he showed me the price sheet, which you have to be a member to actually even see, it was like shockingly low compared to what I'm used to. And you know, now I'm just like I'm, I have to try it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But they don't do black and white, so I could send my my four by five color here and get it done very well for very affordable. And that seems like a pretty awesome idea, but I still haven't quite figured out, you know, what it is that I want to do with that format. Cause mm-hmm. it's so much different that, you know, I'm experimenting and, you know, to be honest with you for doing studio portraits, I just don't think that, that anything is as, nice is using my D 800 right and yeah. that with the sigma 50 i mean that, <laughs> that lens is like we were talking about how good lenses are now and that lens to me is perfection well and i think you also would see the most interesting things out of that format in a wider environment where there is more detail exactly. to be brought into the scene even if it's a studio that just isn't a black like blank background where right. you can see some of the depth like that 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 um, mix of focal range and depth of field coming together in a special way. Exactly, kind of and that, it's it's basically it's pointless. Yeah. The way like to do it in the studio, the way I've been doing it, and now I'm I'm aware of it. So now I'm I'm kind of like it feels like I need to take a step back or take a big leap forward, and you know I just haven't figured it out because the weather still sucks, <laughs> oh. and it's heavy. Yeah, I can imagine and slow to work with. Yeah, exactly. Which actually, you know, it, when you get used to it, and especially when you're not doing anything that's, you know, macro, mm-hmm. it's not that hard. You know, you can you can actually pull it together pretty quickly when you don't have to check, like, do the, the you know, all the checks on it. I had a, li- a list, a checklist that I would go through. I did that, I did that, I did that. Mm-hmm. Don't forget mm-hmm. to do this before you do that. I mean, it's forever long. And, it, and if you're too close to the lens... To take one photo. Right, if you're beyond the the length of the the focal length, so with the lens that I have, it's a 135. So if I'm beyond beyond 135 millimeters, then there's this crazy complicated math equation you have to do to get the exposure right, and it's uh, it sucks. Except for it doesn't suck because then you know you really have to try to get an image. 
So there's something within that challenge that's really exciting unless it, you blow it and then it's not exciting at all. I do. I want to try shooting some uh, motion film this year. Yeah, you were mentioning that. Fun. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah. I, I don't have solid plans for it yet, but I'd like to look into it at least, see if it's viable. Oh, by the way, I have an update about my Super 8. Oh, okay. Yeah, what's that? It doesn't work. <laughs> Did you, how do you know? Did you shoot some film? No, I put a new battery in it and it just doesn't turn on or anything. Sorry to hear that. So now I'm wondering, is this something I fix? And I'm thinking, yeah. you know, it's probably just cheaper to buy one. Oh, yeah, for sure. You could buy like two more for the price of fixing it. Probably eight more, to be honest with yeah. you. Like, they're so cheap. And so, you know, I, it just it feels like, a, okay, there's a step back again. <laughs> I'm not going to be doing that this year. My thing this week is going to be something kind of boring and obvious, but it's Visco slash VSCO, the app. And if you're not already using it to edit your photos, well, you're crazy. I mean, it's like the only thing I use on my phone. But mm-hmm. what I've really been using it for is their sharing platform lately. Actually, I've kind of turned it into what I used to do with Instagram of just throwing things in there, like just with no concern about whether it's amazing. Right. And I had kind of been doing this for a while now without giving it much thought. And I was browsing through it the other day and realized I've actually put a bunch of cool photos up there that aren't anywhere else. So I think it's worth looking at if anybody hasn't experimented in that section of it. There's um, something really nice about it that just feels more casual and fluid than Instagram these days. Uh, what I read recently is that their goal is to be more of a gallery or a museum than a social platform. Uh, well, I was. that's funny that, that, that that's what they're saying because I was just going to say that I feel like the, the photography that's there is, is so much more interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Totally. There's a lot of people doing interesting stuff. And so to me, I mean, I've thrown things in there that I thought at the, in the moment were kind of bad and I didn't put them on Instagram. Mm-hmm. But when I go back through, I'm like, this is great. Why didn't I post all of this? <laughs> so. so that's where you're posting photos. Uh, yeah. I mean, not tons, but there's, there's stuff to be seen there. So I've actually, I've, I, I've always had a love hate with Instagram. You know, I love it and I, I dislike it, but lately it's, it's been, it's a bit definitely been on the downside. Oh, I kind of have one more and I mentioned it on Twitter and then never followed up and it was capture one or yeah, capture right, right, nine, yeah. one <laughs> version <laughs> nine of capture one. Um, so I was at a, oh man, there are so many things I could have been talking about, but we haven't been here. I was at a really huge shoot for the cover of a magazine. That's going to be both stills and video. So just seeing that that, you know, a, a high budget shoot where the video is being shot on red and there are as many lights as need to be there and a film crew and stills crew working together. And it was just really great to see that production level happening. And it's mm-hmm. not the environment that I usually work in. I'm usually in a way more flexible environment, more of like, a, you know, lifestyle shooting, smaller cameras, more uh, flexible environments. Um, you know, what I wouldn't call it, studio commercial, which is very much what this was. But I was talking to the data tech on the still side uh, just about why he chooses Capture One. And maybe this is going to be obvious to anybody in this position, but he said to me that, uh, I was like, why, you know, why do you choose it over Lightroom? And he was just like, honestly, it's not even a question. Like nobody in this environment even considers Lightroom. It, mm-hmm. you, everyone uses Capture One. And um, I hadn't heard it put strongly like that. I mean, I knew that 
people that shoot medium format generally prefer it. I, you know, I know that um, it's got better tethering support in general, but he really was putting it in absolute terms that like, this is it. You don't, you're not, you're not going to shoot in a large scale commercial environment uh, on, on Lightroom ever. And uh, so I'm, trying to give it a chance i'm trying to really understand it there's a few things in it that were really exciting to me especially the skin tone processing stuff mm-hmm. um which you know i know we touched on these things last time that we were talking about capture, capture one but there are some things about the way they deal with color that are much smarter the biggest one is actually defining that okay this is just a huge problem with lightroom that you can't set your boundaries of what each hue is as you control the hue and saturation sliders. Right. So if you want to target your uh, kind of orangey, your skin, you're okay. You want to target the reddest parts of the skin. That is like a, you know, an orangey red and you want to bring it back towards more just of the like pinky orange, like less, less of the um, blue red. Uh, and you want to bring some of the green out of the skin from the other side, just to compress those skin tones. Like this is, this is a lot of the time what makes skin nice. It's what film does. It like takes the extremes out, takes the extreme reds and the extreme greens and presses them into like the nice, you know, salmon-y color. Well, on a, on a fair skin person would be like salmon-y color and darker skin. Still the same saturation or, or hue level, right? It's just how bright or dark it is. There's basically like one target that we're going for here. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Lightroom, you're unable to match those or target those specific hue points. Like you can't say, I want the skin colored red. It's just red. Um, and not being able to refine that at all means that you are, I mean, the presets work worse because of it. Like everything is just less precise because you're unable to do that. Um, and capture one does it very well. So that is enough reason for me to start thinking about using it for processing occasionally. Uh, I wouldn't yeah, move to it for you, catalog stuff, but yeah, that's the, that's the thing for me though, is that I, I don't feel like I can do things casually like that. No, I know. And I probably won't have time to experiment with it enough to really know if it's the right solution. That's the other problem. I tried and I couldn't really give it that is enough effort. I know. Yeah. That's why we never followed up with it. But yeah. what I think of it is like, I'd like to be comfortable enough with it that if I end up in a similar environment, like you know, I have an opportunity to do a big commercial shoot um, and I need to match 30 photos and have them be like dead accurate. I'm going to go in there with a color checker and I'm going to map them all out in um, the software first to get it exactly right. And then I'm going to use something like Capture One to really target skin tone. Uh, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> this is what I'm imagining. Because it'd be hard to do this in a batch with Photoshop, right? That's the biggest problem. Like Photoshop to me is you can't sync the settings and that really can slow you down in a lot of environments. Yes. So being able to instantly process stuff as it comes through capture one seems really appealing. I, I probably won't have time to use it, but you know, I, I think I, I think of it like language, you know, I think that, that, you know, the only way to, to really be able to, to speak a language is to fully immerse yourself in it. Yeah. I think it's true. And, you know, so I think that if, if I ever get to the point of, of changing from Lightroom to Capture One, then it's it's going to take something like that to make it happen. Like, I mean, I have to be in an environment where I have to use it and where there are other people around that are maybe being helpful. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I just know that, like, time constraints, being busy, 
as a photographer. It's just, it's hard enough to find time to shoot when you're busy. <laughs> yeah. Or record a podcast. Right. Uh, should I get a color checker? Yeah, do, definitely. Do you recommend it? Okay. I'm gonna do I mean, you're, you're, you're actually like that concerned about color accuracy. So yeah, you should. Do you have the pocket one, like the uh, passport, the small one? Or the big exactly. One? I have the passport. Okay, cool. And it's great because you can put it in your kit, like with mm-hmm. no, yeah, it just fits right. And it's like so easy. So there's no excuses. Like old school gray cards were weird, you know, because they were, they were like eight and a half by 11 or whatever. Yeah, I have one of those. <laughs> yeah, they're terrible. That's what I've been using. But the thing is, it's not always just white balance, you know, right? especially if you're matching multiple cameras or right. especially if you're working with S-Log. Yeah, I actually I do recommend it, and so okay. my endorsement. Boom, I'm I'm on it. We're okay. still live. Cool. We'll be back. Yeah. We'll be yeah. We'll be back maybe in a week. Uh, yeah, I hope so. Or so, or so. <laughs> with something interesting to talk about. All right. See you later. Okay. Ciao.